I'm just wondering as we begin tonight, how many of you are right in the middle of life? There's a lot of reasons uh, why you could think of there's another place you could be, but you chose to be here. And uh, I guess I could say that I'm one of those and right in the middle of life. In fact, life almost took me out of the picture this morning when I had an opportunity to share God's word with other believers. And I just kind of uh, prayed about it a little bit. God said, you know where you need to be, Jeff. And so I was able to put life on hold for just a minute and be here uh, to share God's word. And I'm glad to be here with you. Um, Would you bow with me in prayer as we begin our time together tonight? Let's pray. Father, you are good and your word is powerful. Tonight, as we gather in this place in your name, we remember your promise to be here with us, and we're, we're comforted by that. We're grateful for that. God, would you touch us with your word? Would your Holy Spirit find freedom in our lives to apply this in a way that transforms us, that changes us to be more like you? We'll give you the glory and honor and praise, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are about 60 days into a new calendar year, give or take. A lot of people at the beginning of a year will make promises to themselves, to others about how I'm going to change this year. What are the things I'm going to do different? What are the things I'm going to add to my life? What are the things that I'm going to subtract to my life? And I'd just like to check in with you real quick. How's that going? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, Most of us that uh, made those types of commitments about the third week of January or so, we kind of peter out, we kind of run out of gas, we go right back to where we are. How many of you just decided, I've done this before, I don't need need to start this year with that kind of aggravation? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of us in that boat too. You know, change is tough, and real change and lasting change is even tougher. Some people make it. Some people set their mind on change, and they get real change. Most of us experiment with good intentions, and we try real hard, but in the end, we, we kind of slide back right where we were. Despite the common experience many of us have with change, um, self-help projects or self-change projects are still pretty popular. While I was preparing for this, I just uh, went online to one uh, popular bookseller, and I, I typed in the search engine self-help, and I got 241 thousand hits on one bookseller about products that talk about self-help. Ladies and gentlemen, that's nearly a quarter of a million products on one website about self-help and self-change. Clearly, we are a culture that is interested in change, in self-change. Why is that? Well, I think hope is a powerful thing. The idea that life can be different, that life can be better, that life can be more full is a powerful motivator. And I think if everybody here, everybody sitting here, took your spiritual pulse this morning or this, this evening, um, we, would, we would say that there's at least something that we would like to be different, something in our life that we'd like t- to be changed. In fact, some of us have been so motivated to get changed that we've, we've gone to teachers or coaches or counselors or mentors. We've brought other people into the picture to help us find change. Tonight, I hope you're thinking about change. Because if you're looking for quantifiable, quantitative improvement in the way that your life goes from day to day, from your, for your existence, from hour to hour, this hour is for you. I know that sounds a little bit like the jacket of those self-help books you pick up in the store. <laughs> a little bit hard to believe, but I guarantee you God's Word has something different, something more to offer. In Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, we read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This, uh, we're going to focus primarily on verse 2 this evening. Um, And this passage begins with a prohibition against the type of change that doesn't work out well in the end. The scripture says, do not be conformed to this world. What does that word conformed mean? Well, it means to be pressured from the outside. It means to be, to have someone try to change you or something trying to change you from the outside in. Maybe an example of that would be something like this, a coin. Maybe you have one in your pocket. This coin, this particular coin, bears the image of Lincoln on one side and the Lincoln Memorial on the other side. This is made of copper. It has nothing to do with Lincoln. How did it get that way? Well, in the minting process, there's a die. This this blank is put in a machine, and this die clamps down on this coin with so much pressure that the metal begins to flow into the image of the die. So this coin is changed from the outside in, and it now bears the image of the dye that conformed it. In some cases, coins, when they're being minted, that that dye can put almost 1,500 tons of pressure on that coin to create that image. Works out good with coins, not so good with people. But a similar process happens with people. Have you ever heard of peer pressure? Yeah, remember high school? If you've already been to high school, it's probably something you'd like to forget. But uh, if I can remember three decades ago when I was in high school, I remember thinking that I wanted to have the clothes that everybody else had. I wanted to have the things that everybody else had, look and sound and act like everybody else. What is the phrase that we use? I want to be different just like everybody else. Um, In my wedding photos is this 80s hair. I don't know whether you remember 80s hair, but it's best forgotten. Unfortunately for me, that moment in my life was captured forever, and um, I'll forever be reminded of what I thought at the time looked good and really doesn't, but uh, I was just like everybody else. You know, some of us uh, have experienced peer pressure, and we've, uh, we've maybe come away with some embarrassing hair or some embarrassing clothes, something like that. Um, some of us have experienced peer pressure, and we've come away from it with some deeper scars. And if you're one of those folks that have some memories you would rather not have right now, I want you to know this night is for you. You will find some real joy and peace in the scripture that we're about to share together. Unfortunately, um, maybe contrary to popular belief, peer pressure doesn't end in high school. It goes on for the rest of your life. Hopefully the way you respond to it ends in high school. But the peer pressure part goes on for the rest of your life. Anybody seen a TV commercial? TV commercials are there to pressure us, to conform us into being like the people that we see on TV. The advertising industry spends billions of dollars annually trying to pressure us into being the people that they want to be. And because they keep betting billions of dollars on it every year, it's a safe bet to say it works. We are a culture that is more easily conformed, perhaps, than we would be willing to admit. Why is that? I think because, quite honestly, we know there's something more than this. 
Someone once said that we were created with a God-shaped hole in us. We know there's something more. We know there's such a thing as complete peace and rest, and we don't always feel that way. We know there needs to be more. What are we looking for? Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Why do we want change? Because we're not home yet. Why do we want change? Because we know instinctively by God's word, we know there's something more. And the reason that Paul says in Revelation, or in, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the reason he says, do not be conformed to this world is because ultimately what we are looking for is not in this world. It's not capable of being obtained with the tools that we have here in this world. What we really want, what we're really looking for is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about this for a minute. A relationship that's unhindered and unending with the one who created us. That's what we're really looking for. Does it make sense to you that if the ultimate satisfaction that we're longing for is a relationship with Jesus Christ, that trying to achieve that joy in our life by getting the things that we see on TV or getting the things that we see other people having or acting or sounding or dressing like other people is not going to get us what we really deeply desire? Paul is telling us, if you want real change, if you want lasting change, being conformed to this world is not going to get there for you. The peace and joy and freedom and contentment that's real, that lasts, can only be found in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to tell us how we can find that. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that word transformed mean? It means to be changed into another form. It means something new just happened. You've probably heard this illustration before, the illustration of a caterpillar and a butterfly. When a caterpillar is changed into a butterfly, that's what transformation is. It's an amazing process. I don't know whether you've studied much of it or you remember of it, um, but this caterpillar gets himself inside of a cocoon, and as I'm, what I'm told is that he, he begins to kind of liquefy. He just completely loses the shape that he had before and then is transformed into something completely new, something that didn't exist before. It, I just saw recently that uh, the color on a butterfly's wings is due to nanotechnology. It's not about pigment. It's about the way that butterfly's wings reflect different wavelengths of light. Only God can do this. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the, dis, the difference between a penny what it is before it's minted and after it's minted, and the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly is night and day. And it's got our Creator's fingerprints all over it. If you think about a lump of clay, I have a, a clay um, cup at home that was taken by an artist, and it was thrown on a spinning wheel, and he shaped that piece of clay into a cup. And now it's more useful, it's more beautiful. He put it in a in a kiln, and he put some glaze on it, and now it can last longer, and it, it has been conformed. It's, it's better than it was. But if you read Genesis, God also took a lump of clay, and he formed it into a man. Now, clearly, in, in our mind's eye, we could, we could look at that, that 
that sculpture of a man that, that God, that Jesus Christ formed out of the ground. And I'm sure it was the most beautiful sculpture there has ever been made. No artist, no craftsman could ever touch it. But then God did something different. He breathed into that clay. And it became a living, breathing, thinking human being with an eternal soul. That's transformation. Do you see the difference? What I can do with clay, I can roll it into a ball, I can roll it into a snake, and if I'm really feeling creative, I can make a stick man out of it. What an artist can do with clay is he can make a vase or a cup or something even more useful and more beautiful, but that's still molding, that's still conforming, that's still shaping what's already there. That's just kind of rearranging the materials. When God creates a butterfly, he takes what was there and he makes it something totally different. When God creates a human being, he transforms what was dust, what was dirt, what is clay, and he makes it into a living, breathing human being. Look around at what God can do. You are an example of what God's transforming power can do. It's amazing. God's fingerprints are already all over you. You've already experienced the kind of transformation that only our God is capable of doing, and that's not even where he stops. That's just the beginning. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That example of the caterpillar being transformed in a butterfly is, just, is really just rearranging the material that was already there. When God makes a new creature, he's creating something that wasn't there before. It's brand new. God has the capability of creating something out of nothing. The very essence of who we are is changed, it's transformed, and it's a transformation that comes from the inside out. Being conformed is pressure from the outside. When we are transformed, we are changed from the inside out. The essence of who we are is different, and it's permanent. Have you ever known a butterfly to turn back into a caterpillar? See, butterflies don't tape butterfly thoughts to their mirror. They don't study aerodynamics. They don't hang out with other flying insects to try to convince themselves that they really are a butterfly. They are. The transformation is permanent. And it didn't depend on what the caterpillar does. It depends on what his creator did. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we doubt that the transformation process is taking place. And we try to hold on to it by our own strength. We try to conform ourselves into what we think a Christian ought to be. Transformation depends on the creator, not on the creature. When God has changed you, you are changed. End of story. You have God's fingerprints on you. You are a new creation if you are in Christ. Another place in Scripture where this same Greek word for transformation is used in, Jesus, in the description of Jesus' transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. If you remember that passage, Peter didn't even know what to say, and Peter always knew what to say. It was mind-boggling. Those three disciples were absolutely astounded by what they saw. And that transfiguration of Jesus wasn't about getting new habits or changing thoughts. That was about the inner 
essence of Jesus Christ coming to the outside. It, it became visible on the outside. And that's an amazing thing. And we'll read about a little bit more of that in a minute. But that's why when Paul says, if you want change in your life, don't mess around with just being conformed. There's some being conformed that works out okay, right? When you go to school and you learn a little bit of algebra, now you got some more algebra, that's okay. But if you want supernatural life, if you want permanent change, if you want something in your life that wasn't there before, Jesus is the only answer for that. Transformation in Jesus Christ is the only way. When we talk about the change Jesus offers, we're not talking about just getting better circumstances. We're not talking about a nicer car, a better job, a better marriage, a successful career. We're talking about things that are far beyond that. Now, those things are good, and those things are okay, and sometimes God blesses us with those things. But ladies and gentlemen, understand this, that anybody who sets their mind to it, whether they're a Christian or not, can achieve those things if you work hard enough at it, right? We can get a nicer car or a better job or a better career if we work hard enough at it. What Jesus is talking about, what Paul is talking about in transformation is far above that, so far above it, it's not even in the same category. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. We don't have time to do all of it right now. But I wonder if you caught that, that the Word of God is saying that God is in the process of changing us into the image of Christ. That image that was so bright and so overwhelming on the Mount of Transfiguration is what Jesus is doing in His believers in you and I right now. It's present tense. It's happening to us. Now, I can't see it yet. When I look in the mirror, it's just as same old Jeff. I can't see it with my eyes. But what Scripture is telling me right here is that as I look into God's Word and as I follow Jesus Christ from glory to glory, I'm being transformed into that same image of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means I'm going to look like Him one day. I'm more and more thinking like Him. I have a relationship with the Father that's unhindered because of what He did on the cross. I can live in the presence of God here on this earth, and I will live in the presence of God for eternity to be able to see Him face to face. Try molding yourself into that. God is doing amazing work in you. You are an amazing work of transformation that's happening right now. Now do you understand why Paul said, don't mess around with just being conformed. Don't mess around with rearranging what you already have. Don't mess around with trying to get what you can get. Because all I can make is a stick man out of clay. And truly in my heart, I want more than I can accomplish. I want what Jesus can accomplish. And since God put heaven in our hearts, and since we're not home yet, transformation is what's going to uh, make the difference for us. So how do we get that transformation? Interestingly enough, if you look at the grammar of this word, it's, it's written in the passive voice. It says, be transformed, which means that I'm not the one that's doing the transformation. I'm letting it happen to me. I'm not creating the change. I'm receiving the change. I'm not making it happen. I am benefiting from it happening. 
Paul is saying, allow yourself to be changed, in this case, by God. Conformed, conforming is what the world tries to do to us. Transformed is what God does in us. We're not causing it, we're receiving it. Christ is the one that's causing it. And that's a really important distinction, and I'll tell you why. I grew up in church. I've been going to church nine months before I was born. I've been going to church for a very long time. Um, my mom and dad took me every week, and I'm grateful for that. I've listened to literally hundreds of sermons. I've preached a few myself. And I always thought that my job was to look at this and do this. A lot of the sermons that I heard, now I'm sure this isn't what they were saying, but a lot of the sermons, what I was hearing was, you've got sin in your life, stop it. And that's what I was hearing. In fact, it says in Philippians 2, 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I thought, that's what I got to do. But have you read the rest of the verse? It says, it goes on to say, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You could say, work out your own salvation. That, that word there means to bring to its final conclusion. It's, it's almost like you could use it in the, uh, in the example of accounting, to bring to its final sum. Let your salvation be brought to its final place. And then it says, in fear and trembling for, or you could say because, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I can try to conform myself into what this says. Have you tried that? Am I the only one here? (laughs) I've tried that a lot. I can try to look at this and say, that's what I want for my life, and try to go after it with my own strength. I can try to pressure or squeeze myself into what I think I should look like, what other Christians think I should look like, what my pastor or my Sunday school teacher thinks I should look like, what my wife or my kids think I should look like. I have tried and tried and tried to pressure myself into that mold. Anybody been there? It's frustrating. It's frustrating. And all the while, I'm not getting the change on the inside that I desire. Squeezing yourself into a better mold isn't the answer. It's letting God transform you that is the answer. You know, every other religion in the world is similar to a self-help plan in this. It gives you the steps to follow, the things to do, the things to shoot for, and then you go get it. Christianity is different in that it clearly says you don't have the power or the ability to bridge that gap between you and God. So Jesus Christ bridged that gap on the cross. That's the difference, ladies and gentlemen. This Bible is not a self-help book. If you've ever talked to your friends about Christianity and they're like, I don't want to hear about that stuff, maybe, just maybe, what they're thinking is that's just one more self-help book, that's just one more group of rules and laws to put on my life, and I'm not very good at that kind of a thing anyway, and none of us are, and I really don't want to hear about that. And they, like myself, having sat in church, think that it's up to me to get myself, or at least get myself part of the way. Have you ever been there? God, I know I've blown it, and I'm going to try harder. And I'm going to do it better next time. And I'm going to say this better or I'm not going to say that. And I'm going to work, work, work. You know what that is? That's performance Christianity. That's a self-help approach to Scripture. And it's so frustrating. Have you ever been on that merry-go-round 
where you perform and fail and repent and perform and fail and repent and it seems like you just go around and around and around the same merry-go-round and it's just the same old stuff and you're not getting victory and there's no change and you're getting frustrated and you're feeling like just throwing it all away. Have you ever been there? You know how to get off that merry-go-round? Change the word perform into transform. Change the word perform into transform. This is not a self-help book. This is not about you getting to the finish line first because of your acumen, your strength, your spiritual ability. This is about people who know that they're broken, who know that they can't get it done, and they're just going to hold that weakness up to God. One of my favorite scriptures, Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That word renew means to exchange. My weakness for God's strength, pretty good deal. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Transformation. Not more performance. Transformation. We are truly helpless to get what we need on our own. But the good news is the one who has the power offered to do this for us and his transformation, his change is so comprehensive. We call it being born again. You get to start over. You're someone completely new. And that's why Paul uses the word transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 again. We are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. We are receiving this change that God is working in us. And it's a present tense thing. God is doing it right now. It's happening right now. Philippians 2.13 again, for it is God who works in you. Think about that for a minute, ladies and gentlemen. The fingerprints of a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God are all over your life. He's transforming you now. God is the actor. Now is the time. Transformation is what's taking place. It's going on right now, and it will reach its ultimate conclusion later when we're able to be face-to-face with God. In Philippians 3.20, we read, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is even by which he is able even to subdue all things to Himself. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that can stop my God. If I'm saying, God, you can't fix this sin in my life, I'm saying, this wasn't enough. If I'm saying, God, this sin has got power over me that that even you can't deal with, I'm saying, you're not enough. Ladies and gentlemen, He is enough. He is all we need and more to be transformed. He is. He is our hope. And that's pretty exciting because what we have waiting for us is going to be amazing. But we can also be enjoying this transformation right now. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Well, here's one way to look at it. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, He said to His disciples and those that were listening, beginning in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry. Sounds good, right? I'm one of those people that would say, Jesus said it, that settles it. And then what happens is you lose your job or you get laid off. You become unemployed. Suddenly, you can see by the rate that you're using your savings that there is a day when the hammer is going to drop and things are going to start to unravel. And maybe you can believe what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in your head. I know, Jesus, you said that all things would be added unto me. I know that you said not to worry. I know that you said if I seek you, you'll take care of this rest, but I am not in a lot of peace right now. Ever been there? I picked this example because it's personal to me. Um, If you're worried about the finances, worried about how it's all going to work out, if you're pacing the floor, wringing your hands, I would submit to you that you don't really believe what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. I would submit to you that what you need at that moment is mind renewal, the kind of transformation that Paul is talking about. Now, you've heard people say, I've said it myself, you can't trust your emotions. Ever been there? You can't trust your emotions to tell you the truth. You can't trust your emotions to tell you the truth about God, but you can trust your emotions to tell you the truth about what you believe. Does that seem true? If I read Matthew chapter 6, where the scripture says, don't worry, I got this. I'm paraphrasing now. Don't worry, I've got this. Seek me first, and I will take care of you in the way In the manner and the time that I choose, I will take care of you, Jeff. Don't worry. But God, what about, but God, you see my, (laughs) I've, I just struggled with this. And I finally had to kind of admit that uh, what Jeff believed in his head wasn't what he really believed in his heart. So what do you do when you find yourself in a situation like that where Scripture is clear? There's a commandment. There's a promise. It's clear. You're trying to believe it. You're trying with all your might to believe it, and it just doesn't seem to stick. What do you do? Well, you can do the self-help approach, which is, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'm going to believe what God says. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And you try to stuff it. Yeah, that's what I used to do. God, I don't believe that. I'm going to believe what you say. And And I guess in some way I thought this was faith, and in some way I was probably just trying to take my best shot at at trying to believe in God. But really what I was ending up doing was trying to fix my own belief on my own. What I really needed was a kind of transformation that only God can do. Does it make sense that we can't even believe all these commandments in and of our own strength? Do you read through the Scripture and it just challenges you and shakes you to your foundations? It's like, God, how could I ever go there? How could I ever do that? How could I ever believe that? That's a time when you could say, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I need mind renewal. I need, God, what only you can give me. The other option besides stuffing it or trying to pretend you don't believe that or trying to pretend you don't think that or feel that is to hold it up to God. God, I know your word says not to worry. And I know your word says you are faithful but I am struggling here and I need to know what you have to say. I need your touch in my life. I need you to change me. Do you remember the man that said, 
I believe, help my unbelief. He knew that Jesus was the answer, but he still had some doubts. Ladies and gentlemen, we can be real with Jesus Christ. He knows already. We're not going to surprise him with anything. Living the Christian life out of performance is so frustrating. Just holding it up to God and saying, God, I need you. This part of my life, it doesn't agree with your scripture, and I don't want to live that way. God, I need you to touch me. I need what only you can do. I need you to transform me. I need your touch. Well, that's the theoretical part. Now, how did it happen in real life? Well, I had lost my job. I had lost my income. I had this neat spreadsheet in my computer that, that told me when D-Day was going to be. You know, when the last house payment was going to be possible and that sort of thing. And, and that's a really good way to make yourself nervous. Um, but, uh, and I was trying everything I could to try to find a job, to try to find some income, to, find, to just find a way to fix this. And it just felt like God was not giving me a door to walk through. And I was just struggling every way I could to try to fix this, to try some way to make this better. And then our Thursday night Bible study met. And you come to the part of your small groups where they ask, are there any prayer requests? And since I was leading the group, I said, are there any prayer requests? Knowing I had one. But knowing it hurt so bad to share it, I didn't want to share it. And I looked at my wife, and my wife looked at me, and we said, yeah, we got one. And we told them about our financial situation and where we were at. And I guess at that point, when you're willing to just share what's going on in your life in, in brokenness, in humility, it just, you, you just kind of hand it over to God at that point. Say, God, guys, I need you to pray for me. You, you go to your brothers and sisters in Christ and you say, I can't handle this. I need you to pray for me. You know what God did? In two months' time, from 11 different sources, God sent us $11,000. You know, <laughs> and, and with each check, it's like God wanted to remind me 11 times, Jeff, <laughs> you don't need to worry. I've got this. He had a purpose for me. He had a place where he wanted me to be, things he wanted me to do, and those things weren't going to pay the the needs that I had. So he had a place for me that wasn't going to provide the income. So he provided the income in a different way. You see what our God can do? $11,000 seems like an amazing number to me. It is nothing compared to what my God can do. It is nothing compared to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. If you will let go and say, I need to be transformed. This is not a self-help proposition and it's not a solo proposition. I think part of what God was working in my life was to also say, Jeff, humble yourself before your brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> God, you know how me and humble get along. <laughs> but he used that. That was a transforming moment for me. Do I still have times where I get nervous about it? Absolutely. But there's those markers along the way as we follow Jesus Christ where his power was obvious, where the Jordan stacked up upstream somewhere and you were able to walk across on dry land. That pile of stones right there says that's where God intervened. And when you start to get nervous again, you can look back at that pile of stones. You can look back at that memory of what God did. As a result of prayer, nothing that I did 
In fact, I just gave up doing anything. I just asked people to pray. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you take God at His word and God is all you got, you find out God is enough. If you sit behind a wall of doubt and fear and you don't step forward in faith, then you're still wondering. Transformation is what God does for His people because He loves them, because He loves them too much to leave them where they are, because He loves us too much to leave us in fear and doubt, and He loves us too much to even let us go without our basic provisions. Our God is good. Jesus Christ said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wow. Rest. Well, if there's anything that we're looking for, when we're looking for change, it's peace and rest. Sometimes we think it would come in a new product of some kind. Somebody walks out of Best Buy with something you'd like to have. Somebody drives down the street with something you'd like to have. Sometimes we think that our peace and rest will come from that. It is not anything this world can offer. In fact, the peace and rest that God offers is actually many times in contradiction of what this world can offer and the circumstances that you're in tonight. Our God offers transformation. It's untouchable. Nobody and nothing can offer more. Wouldn't you like to have peace and rest in the middle of the storm? Wouldn't you like to quit struggling and just see God's hand come down in the middle of your life? Now, I'm not saying that Christians won't ever struggle. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying you do not have to do your Christian life on your own. This is not a self-help book. This is a detailed description of how God wants to give you abundant life and bless you beyond what you can ask or imagine. But you've got to let Him do it. You've got to let Him do it. You open the door. He does the rest. Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens to me, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If you ever find Jesus on the outside of your life knocking to get in, it would be a really good thing to open that door. I'm wondering where you are tonight. Have you been trying really, really hard to do this on your own? Have you been trying to be the person that you think you need to be, that your spouse needs thinks you need to be, that your church thinks you need to be? Have you been trying to be conformed? Are you willing to be transformed? What do you need tonight? If you're already a Christian, if you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, you've already experienced transformation. You can't say Jesus Christ is Lord without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. God has already been doing things in your life. If you're a living, breathing human being, you already have the fingerprints of the Creator on you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been transformed into a new creature. Jesus is the Son of God. He did 
rise from the dead. There is no obstacle to him to work in your life. Are there still some promises or truths in this scripture that you're struggling with? I think every one of us could raise our hand. Yeah, there's some things in there that are just hard for me. Could you do with some transformation tonight? Could you do with the touch of God tonight? Why not hold that up to God? Why not just tell him honestly what you're really feeling, what you're really thinking, what you're really believing, let him change it? Stop using this as a self-help book and start getting the transformation, the supernatural transformation that God offers. Maybe perhaps tonight you're not yet in relationship with God. You've heard a lot about him. You're here. You're listening. But you're still trying to fight that fight on your own. What, what would stop you from giving up that fight tonight? What would stop you from giving in to the lordship of Jesus Christ to let his forgiveness cleanse your soul and give you rest? What would stop you from letting him transform you into a new creature? Would you be willing to do that tonight? I know God would, would be pleased to save you and transform you. I'm going to ask if you would bow as we pray. Father, your commandments are sometimes so difficult for us to hear. And yet the promise of your strength and your love and your presence with us, undeniable. God, I thank you that we don't have to do this alone, that you are right beside us, that you are indeed the one who brings change into our life. Jesus, if there be any place in my life where you are not Lord and Savior, I pray that you would point that out and we would deal with that here and now. God, I pray for each and every person that is here that you would place your hand on their life and that they would know your presence, your love, your passion, your desire for more blessing, for more purpose, for more of your power working in and through them. And it's your name we pray. Amen.